to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to crisis management, COVID, well-being, resilience, business continuity, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. One other quick announcement, I will be uh, co-presenting a keynote speech with Margaret Millett at BCI uh, World Hybrid in November 2nd to 3rd in London, and fingers crossed, we will be there in person. As you can see on my screen, it is the time for the bringer of happiness. <laughs> We're going to have a wonderful oh, episode God. today, right? Oh. Welcome back. Alex, it is such a treat to be with you as always. And my goodness, I feel like I'm having a flashback. But I know, like we said before recording, I feel like I've been here before. I know. So what's going on with the pandemic? All happening. Oh, right. What can I say? Well, I'm just going to jump in and show some slides because there's so much to talk about. It's just easier to actually do that. So uh, we're recording this on July 25th. Mm -hmm. uh, just so for people to timestamp, if you're listening to this, things could be really different by the time you maybe hear this. I don't know. But uh, let me just start by saying, first of all, is that we are in a large surge across the world, really driven by the BA.5 variant, which is a subvariant of Omicron. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna talk through some of the issues here because this is um, an important moment in the pandemic. So first of all, I'm going to show you some a couple of slides today. This is from Eric Topol. And Eric Topol is a really well-known physician. If you don't follow him on Twitter, I would encourage you to do so, or also on LinkedIn. Um, he's actually from Scripps um, Institute in San Diego, California. And he has been a real great source of really good, reliable information over the course of the pandemic. He recently started a blog on Substract, a substrate that actually has um, really great information. And this was his blog that he released about uh, 24 hours ago, so on July 24th. And it has some really good visuals, which is what I wanted to share. So if you are seeing this on YouTube, you will be seeing them. And as Alex always says, if you're listening on Voice America, you could go over to YouTube if you wanted to mm -hmm. see them, because the, I think they are helpful. So first of all, as everybody painfully well knows, we're two and a half years into this experience. And oh my gosh, it just doesn't seem to go away, does it? So many times people are saying, well, like, what the heck is going on? And why is this such an issue? And I got vaccinated and I'm getting sick and all of those things. And really, the answer that Eric Topol really clearly stated in his uh, blog of yesterday, July 24th, is it's the virus. It's not the vaccines. And this is a really great starter to our discussion today, because what you see when you look at this particular slide, 
and again, I'll try and describe it to you visually um, uh, for those listening only, is that it shows all of the um, major variants and the ancestral strain of SARS-CoV-2. And when you look at the slide, what you'll see is from the time that the virus was first discovered, which was in December of 2019 in China, until really about December 2020, so over a year, we had zero changes to the virus. And just to remind all of you, all of the vaccines currently in circulation are only designed and built to immediately react to the ancestral strain. Now that does not mean that the vaccines are not effective. They're primarily now really effective against serious illness, hospitalizations, and death. However, because it was, just imagine that you're making a dress or you're cutting a pattern and it's made for a particular size and shape. And the next thing you know, you gain 20 pounds in the pandemic. <laughs> well, the dress isn't mm. going to fit you the same. And it's the same kind of metaphor. The vaccines were made for one particular look of the virus. Now the look and shape is different. So therefore that's why the vaccines do not stop many people from getting infected. But I want to emphasize, and I'll show you slides about this also, it really prevents serious illness and death. But when you look at this slide, you'll see we went along you know, beautifully for 12 months, no changes. Then we hit the first variant. And I remember this very clearly in December of 2020 when Alpha basically was discovered in the UK. Alpha made a big splash actually in Europe and a little bit in the United States but not much really. But when Delta came along, that was in uh, pretty much around the July timeframe of 2021, it ravaged the world. And that was our first super changed uh, sub variant and one that was really de devastating. That kind of kind of wrapped up, if you will, uh, around January, but then Omicron, I remember it was the American Thanksgiving of 2021 in the end of November, where this variant first was discovered. And it was discovered, as we know, actually in uh, South Africa. And since then, Omicron has had many babies. Uh, and so we have BA1, BA.2, and then there's BA.4 and BA5. BA5 is the most changed subvariant of Omicron. And there's a lot of discussion is that it should really be its own variant. It's so different, but it's still in the same lineage. And it is driving the surge that we're seeing across the United States and the world right now. Um, so here's kind of just an overview of some of the what we're seeing around the world. And it's really a slide looking at some of the big hospitalization figures. And you can see that the Greece Country Greece, UK, Ireland, France, the United States, Denmark, the Netherlands, Italy, all are really seeing a big uptick in cases, but also in hospitalizations. So it's not just that we're seeing lots of cases, but we're seeing hospitalizations as well. And as we all know, with the increase of home testing, especially in the US and many other countries around the world, the case count doesn't mean much anymore. Uh, most experts believe that you could either take that number that you're seeing in your local newspaper and either multiply it times a factor of five all the way up to 10, and you still may not have the most accurate information. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
Any idea what's going on in Canada? Why before we talk about other other places? Things are uh, since the last time I said the last time uh, last month I believe everything was kind of flat or trending down. Right. Um, that's not the case anymore. <laughs> Things are starting to tick up, cases and hospitalizations. I know uh, last week I believe it was the province of Quebec has recorded a couple of thousand cases. Uh, a day, which um, was hasn't been that high for, I think it was the last year or beginning of no beginning of May. So they came down, and now they're starting to come back up. And the same thing is happening here, all across the country. Um, and uh, they've also started to uh, do the travel restrictions again, oh, but mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily within the country or for Canadians, but for uh, foreign travelers. They, ah. they did stop the, um, uh, I, I guess it was, I forget, the, there's different names for it, but you, you know, you had to prove that you were vaccinated and all this kind of stuff. Right. And now they're, they've uh, implemented random testing again. Ah. Uh, they've taken it out of the airports because if anyone's watched the news, airports around the globe are just horrendous right now. So, <laughs> yeah, right. but they have started random testing for all these uh, foreign travelers that are coming in. Um, uh, I've heard any number from 10% of foreign travelers right up to, you know, half of them. So wow. who, know, who knows what it could be? You know, I, I think some people are just probably speaking, uh, out of panic and others are just stating numbers of what they would like to see. Um, but I haven't seen any firm number yet. Um, so that's happening. The, uh, vaccines for children five and under and babies has all been approved and clinics are actually opening across the country. Oh, good uh, to, for you. To do that, and people have already, they've already getting their needles put that way. Um, and for fourth doses or boosters, uh, I believe it's six months since your last or your third booster, you're eligible. Uh, FYI, today is the day I am eligible for my fourth booster. Woohoo! And, uh, six months today, uh, six months ago today was the third shot. So I am eligible. So uh, this week I will be looking that up and finding out where I can book uh, for my fourth booster. Uh, there are calls again for indoor masks at uh, shopping malls or grocery stores, uh, things like that, uh, mm-hmm. potentially school, simply because they are seeing numbers go up. So uh, I think some people want to try and proactively halt anything from happening. Uh, but again, that also brings out some of the crazies who uh, don't think anything should happen. And this whole thing for the last two and a half years has been a hoax. Um, And let's see, what else is going on here? Um, I think that's the mostly it for now. Still the recording of COVID statistics and trying to find them is not easy. Right. Because people are living with it. I know before we started recording, I happened to mention to you that I had a bad cold. Uh, for two weeks, roughly, which uh, kind of looked like COVID. And uh, apologies to anybody who sometimes might hear my voice come out nasally or suddenly I start coughing. I'm still getting over it. But uh, but you tested uh, negative, right? So I tested negative. And were colleagues who had the same exact same thing as I did, tested negative. Mm-hmm. Friends and family uh, on the East Coast and neighbors all got the same thing, all tested negative. Hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know if maybe we have this new variant <laughs> or if uh, 
you know, it really was just a cold because it was that time of year where we had hot and then cold and going in and out of air conditioning buildings can sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, really affect your sinuses and things like that. I know it does me sometimes, um, but uh, uh, that's really where things uh, stand in Canada. Mm-hmm. How about, uh, how about uh, other places? Well, I, I, this is a good a segue into this particular slide, which shows you what's happening in Japan. As an example, this is the most confirmed cases. They're still doing a lot of PCR testing in Japan, which is not like most of the world now. And so you can just see that they have kind of went along, went along, not much going on. And astronomically, uh, this week, they have had this skyrocket to 140,000 cases, 140,000 cases, doubling what they almost ever had before. Kind of shocking. So that just gives you a sense of this. Here in the U.S., uh, we're seeing, um, you know, what do we a hundred thousand cases, but we most people think it's probably a million cases. Our hospitalizations are about forty four thousand, um, and also we're seeing you know minimal uh, uptake in vaccines and boosters, and that's really the big problem here in the U.S. is that the two vaccines will keep you from probably having a serious uh, hospitalization or death, but what you really need to really boost your immune system is the boosters. Uh, and so everybody in the United States is eligible for three and increasingly many people are now getting a fourth one as well. And so I would encourage you, if you're in the U.S., find out if you're eligible. And if you are, please get boosted. It makes a huge difference in your overall ability to fight off the virus. Um, I do also want to point out in places that, of course, had very little COVID, like Australia, they are really on fire right now, but not just with cases, but also with a huge uptick in hospitalizations. And so they had more of a naive, if you will, uh, immune uh, um, population. Uh, they've had obviously a good uptick in um, vaccinations in Australia, but again, that's still just the two doses. And so, uh, and many people had never seen COVID. And so for a lot of them, you can see it's really made a huge increase both in cases and hospitalizations and sadly deaths as well. So many times this will get people to say, well, okay, why aren't the vaccines working, darn it? Uh, I wanna remind you it's a different size dress, right? So it's not the same. What this slide shows you is that we have basically three levels of defense in our immune system. Uh, There's the first line of defense, which is essentially your innate immunity. Uh, Then your next one is this essentially what are called neutralizing antibodies. And then our third level is what are called T cells and B cell responses, which is cellular immunity. The new variant BA.5 basically blows through the first two levels. The cellular response in uh, in um, COVID does not really begin until about a week or so, maybe a little bit longer after you've actually been exposed and your infection has begun. So it's not that it's not going to kick in, but it really kicks in later on. And that's because your immune system has, it doesn't have those, those, those neutralizing antibodies moving about your bloodstream. It has to really kind of get your cells to go, oh my gosh, now let's see, what was this thing I was exposed to? And it then mounts the immune response, but it takes a little bit of time, about a week, which is why people can be exposed. They can actually then develop the infection And then the immune system will kick in, which is why you don't have this issue of serious illness, hospitalizations, and death, for the most part, in people who have been immunized. 
Now, that's a fight that I have with a lot of people who say to me, but Regina, why should I get immunized? Because it's not even matching exactly this virus. And I'll say that's true. But you will develop this cellular immunity and your T cells and B cells will save you. So you still could get infected. Yes, but you may not become seriously ill, which is the big point. And this really gets to the fight I have, frankly, with a lot of people about vaccines. And that is that we have had just a huge number of lives saved. So if you look at this slide, when we actually saw, if you look on the far left, you'll see actually the deaths uh, in the different income countries, and you'll see high, upper, middle, lower, and low middle. But then when you start moving over to the right, what you'll see is when vaccines were introduced and the impacts they had. And uh, this was a study that was done by the British Medical Journal. And they discovered that in the research that if we would have kept on our same trajectory about what we experienced in 2020, we would have actually had 20 million more people die if there had not been vaccines. And that's the big dark purple part. And that is huge. And then the smaller lavender area is ones that were likely averted, but uh, in the more indirectly. But the actual um, change of having vaccines and the impact it's had has been tremendous. And so we can't really discount that. And I, again, if you're saying I don't, I shouldn't get vaccine, uh, vac- vaccinated, I don't need to get vaccinated, or I'm not going to get boosted because I still got sick or whatever. What I want to say to you is that this vaccine is a miracle. You still may get sick, but you're not going to get sick and die. And that's really what vaccines were meant to do. Uh, and this actually, this particular slide shows that that if you actually have, um, uh, you know, who's dying, essentially, it still is mainly the unvaccinated. So there's a very dark, thick line uh, on this particular graph. And that's the line you see at the top. Those are the deaths in unvaccinated people. And you can see it's pretty large, right? I mean, that's where the deaths are really occurring. And then what you'll see, if they only had the primary series, which is two shots, that's the dotted line. If they had the primary series with one booster, that's the next uh, uh, kind of uh, black line that's a little bit below that dotted line. And then people that have gotten two shots, you'll see is the purple line at the bottom. So if you are eligible for boosters, get them. Uh, because it makes a significant difference in your um, ability to fight off the illness, which I think is something that we all want to be thinking about. It's like when you get a cut, you know, uh, putting something on it, or even if it's just a Band-Aid before you get to the doctor's office. Right. Something is better than nothing, because if you just left it open, uh, you know, you're cut open, you're opening it up to to more more issues. Right. right? Exactly right. Infections and things like that. So. Exactly right. And so and, and, and I and I think this is the time for people to really double down on vaccines here in the United States. We have the zero to five vaccines have been available for about four months now. But still, there's already a discussion that we have already hit um, the peak of when people are expecting to vaccinate their kids, sadly, with only about 30 percent of those kids under the age of five being vaccinated in the U.S. And COVID increasingly in the Omicron series seems to be affecting children more than any of the other variants we would have have had. Now, I would like to just talk about a few quick things before I know we're going to we normally stop right here. But can I just keep going a little bit farther? Sure. Alex? Yeah, keep okay. going. 
what I want to do is I want to talk about COVID treatments because now that more and more people are getting sick, I want to remind them what they should be thinking about. So here in, in the world of COVID, there's basically two phases of the illness. There's something called the viral replication phase, which is about the first seven to 10 days from the onset of symptoms. And that is the time for antivirals. It's the time for monoclonal antibodies. Uh, and that is the treatment and that's available widely. And so that includes things like Paxlovid, Montepiravir, and a few others, which I'll talk more about in just a second. Then there's what's called the inflammatory phase, which usually is, again, about day seven to 10, it starts. And this is when people start having more compromisability in their breathing. Uh, and then when you are really, your body is mounting this gigantic response. And this is where at the very beginning of COVID, people got into lots of trouble. They were admitted to ICUs. They were intubated. Um, this is the time for steroids. And this is the time for anticoagulation therapy. And this is the time for oxygen support. I want to emphasize the, about the difference here. And, and because many physicians don't really understand the difference between these two phases. And repeatedly, I hear of friends of mine, physicians that I know, who somebody all of a sudden came down with COVID. And the first drug that was offered them by their family physician was steroids. Now, why is that a problem if you give it in the viral replication phase? The virus is replicating, replicating, building, building, building in your body. You need your immune system to jump on it. What steroids do is it tamps down the immune response. So there have been some very recent studies of people who were wrongly placed on steroids in the first seven to 10 days, and they could not mount an, a response. And uh, the issues of serious hospitalizations, intubation, ICU admissions, and death if steroids are given in the viral replication phase. And so I am still shocked how many doctors do not know this, or they don't believe in things like Paxlovid, which is the approved antiviral. And so uh, people need to be smart themselves when they go to their doctor. There have been also many research studies, double-blinded studies for lots of ineffective medications, including ivermectin, which is a parasitic drug for worms in horses. Prompting, you know, that was actually promoted by uh, President Trump and others. Hydrochloroquine, same thing. Uh, and then two other, uh, erythromycin, which is an antibiotic, and nitrozymide, which is a another parasitic. Uh, they have been promoted heavily by physicians who are not so credible, but have a big platform. And they have been discounted in a million different studies. Uh, and so oh, I have a link to the bottom of the slide, which I have sent you. And I would encourage people to check that out. This particular document, which I would encourage you to, to also download, is done by NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health here in the United States. And they clearly tell you what are the approved therapies. So looking at the top, uh, what you're going to see is um, Paxlovid, which is a drug by Pfizer, has a 98% effectiveness. That's pretty darn good against death and serious illness. Remdesivir, which when in an outpatient basis in the first seven to 10 days is given intramuscularly or can also be given as an IV. Uh, Beptamilovimab, which is still working 
And then also uh, monopilavir, which is actually by uh, Merck. So any of those can be effective choices for uh, treatments in those first, again, seven days. All of those ideally started within the first five days of symptom onset. Every day past that first five, after the first five days, these drugs will be less effective. And then you hit the um, the um, inflammation stage, and then they're not going to be effective at all. And so this is really important. You need to understand this because a lot of physicians don't. And the document that I've uh, sent to uh, Alex is this particular uh, one that's, again, treatment guidelines. This has just been reviewed, and it, they refresh it every day. It was refreshed today on July 25th. So I want to just encourage everybody to be smart about their own treatments, what their options are, and to advocate for yourself if you end up being COVID positive. And the link uh, that you just referenced, I will make sure that's in the description for this video on YouTube and Voice America, so people can uh, see that. Um, interesting, I noticed bleach wasn't on there. <laughs> no, neither was light either, injecting light. So uh, yes, and I'm sorry I had to go so long, but there's just so much to talk about. And and again, because I hear so many horror stories of people being treated completely inappropriately by their physicians, I just think that people need to be smart and don't just assume that your doctor understands this. Yeah, a part of me can't help but think, you know, if we've been here before after two and a half years, how come we still can't get at least this part right? I know. You know, right, uh, right. <laughs> it, it's it's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, but oh well. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps, and we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, thanks for all that update on COVID. Um, I wish we didn't have to have that talk. Me too. For half years. Um, however, <laughs> let's move into something that uh, is also capturing the headline attention, uh, monkeypox. Yes. You know, I people are going to think that this is the only thing I do professionally is talk about infectious <laughs> diseases, which is not the case, but 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. So monkeypox is something I get a lot of phone calls about, not just from clients, but also friends uh, and family members. Like, should I be worried about this? It's getting a little creepy. I don't know what's going on, blah, 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 blah. So let me just talk a little bit about this. I know we covered it briefly in our last month's uh, conversation, but my goodness, we have a lot more cases since uh, last month. And so it's important. And of course, the World Health Organization has now declared it a public emergency. Um, boy, I wish they would have done that last month and why they didn't, I don't know, but uh, it's really a problem. And so let me just talk briefly about this. So monkeypox, just to sort of start at the beginning, uh, is a is a viral infection that originally hailed out of Africa. And it basically is in two areas of Africa, the DNC, the uh, department, uh, department, the, the de- de- Democratic <laughs> Thank you. The Democratic Republic of Congo is like, what was I thinking? The Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, that particular version of monkeypox is a little bit more onerous, has about a 10% fatality rate. The version that we have uh, now circulating around the world is from West Africa. And that uh, particular form of monkeypox has a lower uh, fatality rate, around 1% to 2%, which that's a, a good thing. It has nothing to do with monkeys, which I know is confusing. It actually is a disease spread amongst the rodent population. But when it was discovered in the late 50s, it had actually been infecting monkeys, but it wasn't a, originally from a monkey. It's just, But that I know is a little confusing, oh, okay. but this particular outbreak started, uh, the general belief is it started about three and a half months ago, but there's also been some concern that it's been circulating longer than that. And the reason for that is that really uh, the vaccination against smallpox has stopped about 40 years ago in the United States and probably a good part of North America. I don't know about Canada. Were you, would you, do you know if you, when you guys quit vaccinating for smallpox? Oh, that was years ago. Uh, right. I, re- right. I remember the generation before me all have the. Uh, yeah, the little marks, right? And I don't. Yeah. So I, it was before, you know, before my time even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what happened is that because smallpox is the only disease that's ever been successfully eradicated, uh, there's none circulating in the world. Uh, that vaccination was stopped. And you may say, well, smallpox is not monkeypox. And I, that's true. However, the virus that was used to develop the smallpox vaccine was monkeypox. And so when you got vaccinated for smallpox, you actually were essentially vaccinated for monkeypox as well. So there's just a lot of, uh, I mean, the population uh, around the world that's under the age of 40 is huge. It's about around 60% of the world has not been vaccinated for smallpox. And so therefore there's a lot of available persons who could become infected. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So this particular uh, outbreak um, was really believed to start in Europe, um, very likely in Spain and Portugal, and and it originally started primarily amongst gay men. And so in this particular outbreak now, we're at about 17,000 documented cases of monkeypox around the world in 74 countries. Now, it primarily has been affecting men who have sex with men. But I want to remind you, so people think, well, okay, that's not me, or it's not people I hang around with, or it's not my concern. I do want to remind you of one other disease that has ravaged the globe for many years now, which is HIV. 
which originally started in the in the gay community, men who have sex with men, but then it has migrated to affect large numbers of people, regardless of their sexual orientation. So I would encourage you to think about this much more broadly than you might. Now, the other thing, as we mentioned before we started chatting on tape, is that this has also been found, it recently affected a child in Europe. Uh, they're not quite sure how that happened. They believe it was because that child came in contact with a lesion, probably maybe from a parent, uh, because they have lesions on, you know, on their face or could be in different parts of their body, and that child became infected. So this is not just a disease of men who have sex with men. So you need to just sort of think about that very clearly in your mind. Now, this particular disease um, has a treatment, which is great. It has a vaccine, which is great. But part of the things is both of those treatments and the vaccines are not widely available because we haven't had this problem for a long time. Mm -hmm. So here in the US, what's happened is that there has been a real a significant push now to create many more vaccines as well as the antiviral that treats monkeypox. Uh, the other thing I would say that's been really challenging about this outbreak is that when you look at the, if you go to uh, online and you look at photos of monkeypox, what's presenting in clinics where people may come in and they have lesions don't look like this body that is covered with pox marks. And these pox, pox marks are hard, hard nodules. They're not like, like a pimple. I mean, there are hard nodules. You have to really work to break them. But once they get bigger and bigger, they will break on their own. And so there's a whole process that if physicians are not aware of even how to, what they could look like or how to even swab them, uh, they really need to look at the CDC or the World Health Organization websites, physicians and patients, so that they clearly understand what needs to be done. Uh, to both uh, diagnose the illness, but also to make sure that those samples are 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 collected correctly, so that they can actually then validate that. Here in the U.S., there's now five commercial laboratories that are doing testing for monkeypox, and we had the same problem here in the U.S. I don't know about Canada, where the CDC for the first two months of this outbreak was the only place that test results could be sent to and and gotten. And now they've actually released the testing agents and materials to five commercial labs. So it's much easier to get tested here in the US. Uh, the vaccines are really in short supply. I have uh, several good friends of mine, gay men who were keen to get vaccinated. One of them waited for seven hours in a line yesterday at the Department of Public Health in San Francisco in order to get vaccinated because that's it's again, there's a real huge shortage of vaccines. Now, I would say, sorry, I just thought, it, is it the same players making these um, uh, vaccines as well as those for COVID? Uh, like the Pfizer's and the. No, the it's not. No, okay. It's a different. It's a different company, but they have really kicked up supplies, and so uh, you'll see, you'll should be seeing more of those available. So you may be saying, so should I get vaccinated? You know, should I be worried about this? Am I going to lose sleep over this? So again, I want to say without stigmatizing the, the, the community at MSM, as it's called, men who have sex with men, is that the, primarily now that is where it is located. But I want to remind you that this is spread. How is it spread? 
Uh, it's spread primarily through direct contact. Your, your skin touching skin that has either a pock or some sort of lesion on it where you can actually be, get the illness. So it could be through sex, it could be kissing, it could be touching, it could be anything like that. If a mom had it on their body and they touched a baby, that's how, I, I mean, it just, it's physical contact. Uh, there also is, um, there is some air, there is some transmission in the air, but it's not like COVID. So I don't want people to freak out. It's like if you were sleeping right next to somebody all night long and they had monkey pox, there is some transmission that could occur in a very co confined space with that kind of very close proximity. It can also be spread if somebody is touching fabric, such as sheets or towels or clothing, where there's a lesion that has drained onto those pieces of fabric and you touch it, you could actually infect yourself. So those are the primary mechanisms of infection. Is it going to affect the vast majority of people? Not kind of would, probably not. But that means that we should still all be aware of what's going on. Do you have any sense of what the Canadian cases are? I was going to see if I have it on my list. Uh, to be honest, no, I was watching. <laughs> I didn't look up the, the monkeypox uh, status here in Canada today. I was looking at all the COVID to find out what was going on and paying attention to the Pope and his visit with the indigenous people. And oh, right, right. So I was focusing on those two things today. I didn't actually get the chance to follow That's up right. on what was happening with monkeypox. I do know that uh, counts, the last time I heard uh, an announcement was on the uh, weekend, listening to the radio in the car, and um, numbers are going up, you know, uh, not drastically, but more cases are being found. So mm -hmm. um, that's the really the only update I know of what's happening here in Canada right now. I was trying to see really quickly if I actually could find that, um, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, um, let me see. Just out of curiosity, with yeah, the, I don't see it with the uh, uptick in COVID and the concern with monkeypox. Could we be heading in a you know direction where people are just uh, panicking un unnecessarily? Because, um, because you mentioned you know, you can come in contact with people. Well, first thing I think of is the subway in Toronto. Right. Which right. is always jam packed, you know, like squeeze everybody in like, you know, Japanese subway cars, you know, uh, you know, do, do we have to get to that point or, you know, I don't know. I, I will say to you is that when this is so that we're like on month three now of this outbreak globally and. I in my, in my in my client population and friends of mine, I've had more people reach out to me to just to chat about this for the last in the last week than I have the entire time. So I think there's a lot more anxiety. I think the fact that that one child became infected freaked mm. a little bit more people out. The fact that there's been a slow response also uh, has also driven some anxiety. But then frankly, uh, the fact that there was a case of polio in New York, did you see that? Yeah, Last that. week, right? So what I wanna remind people is, is that we are in an unusual time in so many ways about diseases and infectious diseases in particular. And that is that there's a huge push, as we know from the pandemic, uh, of really what I would call an anti-science mindset, of which uh, in particular, uh, a lot of discounting of vaccines uh, and in certain parts of the United States where there are less uptake in vaccines, you know, for measles, mumps, rubella, polio, 
many childhood diseases like pertussis and uh, chickenpox and blah, 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 blah. So what that means is that we have a larger um, par part of the population that is susceptible to diseases that frankly, 20 years ago, I personally would have never been thinking about, oh, I should be thinking about measles or I should be thinking mm -hmm. about polio. I mean, no, that never crossed my mind, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, did. I cannot tell you the last time I heard of anybody having chicken pox. Right. But, I, but I've heard on the radio now that there are cases that are cropping up. Same thing with measles. You know, you mentioned them and I haven't heard of anybody having that in, you know, since I was a kid. Right. You know, and now <laughs> suddenly right. it, it, it's being reported. I right. don't understand it. You know, all the advancements we have, and we seem to be going backwards. Right. Uh, well, I totally agree with you. And I think part of that, again, is that, you know, some of it could have been, you say, could be the pandemic, right? The fact that many young, really young children maybe didn't get all of their vaccines at the right time based on the fact that we had this big global pandemic. And hopefully, and actually that's a problem worldwide. Uh, and hopefully there'll be a big effort in public health to catch those kids up so they're not going to be exposed. But there's on top of that is this large anti-vaccine movement that is driving people to question There's uh, the validity of vaccinating people for diseases that don't appear to be circulating. But, you know, the reason that we don't have circulating viruses is because there is no you know, a susceptible populations. Once we stop vaccinating people, as we're seeing with monkeypox, i.e. smallpox, those diseases can then begin to take root and spread. And so I think it's really important to understand that vaccines are one of the greatest miracles in medical history. And the fact that we don't have things like polio, or measles or chicken pox. And you may say, well, you know, it wasn't a big deal when I got it. Well, you know, measles is a good example. It kills thousands and thousands of kids across the world every year. Measles, mm -hmm. it's very, can be very debilitating. Polio still uh, right now because of COVID and also because of some parts of the country like in Pakistan and in um, Iraq, uh, and in Afghanistan, where, where the Taliban has actually uh, prevented workers from vaccinating kids, polio is actually present in those communities every day. Uh, and that's horrible. And so I think to your point, Alex, is that there's an anxiety about this, but there's also this huge backlash about science. Um, and I think we're really seeing that. And when I saw that polio case in New York, with a 20 year old who'd never been vaccinated for polio, who went abroad and got it and is paralyzed. Like, yeah. what kind of sense is that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do no. with that. I, I, I've gone my entire life and never heard of a single person having polio that right. you know, that hits the news. And then when I heard it just a little while ago, I was astounded, you right. know, especially to know that it was in North America, you know, Canada right. or the US. And I was just, wow, that's unheard of. But correct me if I'm wrong, with chickenpox too, um, if you have chickenpox as a child, it can come back, like long COVID, come back and hurt you in other ways later in life? Yes. Yes, it can, actually. Um, the um, I'm having a moment where I can't think of what the illness is. 
there's a neurological illness that you get vaccines for. And what is it? Oh my gosh, my brain is stuck. I can't remember it. <laughs> and you'll, probably, you'll probably remember after we stop recording. I know, but, I know. <laughs> I, I, I remember. Oh, I shingles. Remember. I know. It starts with an S. Shingles. Shingles, shingles is actually a, a viral disease that's caused from having chicken pox as a, as a young person. And so, and now there are vaccines for shingles, which is actually what happens is that the the chicken pox back virus actually will reactivate. And when it reactivates, it reactivates usually in some person on the trunk of the body, but not always with really serious, painful uh, lesions. Uh, it can be, you know, incapacitating, uh, but there are vaccines for that now. But I, that assumes that you do vaccines, right? Yeah. You, uh, I just thought of another question. You mentioned there were two strains of monkeypox. Yes, there are two. Right? Mm-hmm. Would two, that they be... call them clades is the official medical term two kinds of clades one in the dnc uh democratic uh republic of congo and then the other is uh in west africa and and it would just to equate that to covid so maybe people can understand would one have come before the other and one is a variant they don't know that exactly. Well, they oh, they, don't know. they don't know which one came first, but it is it is like that in the sense of they are very similar, but the one in Congo is actually much more lethal. It's almost like saying uh, the the example I could give you that it's related to SARS-CoV-2 would be MERS, which is a coronavirus. It's very similar. It kills thirty five percent of the people to get it. It's still it's it's hard to get. It's primarily from camels. And it's still circulating primarily in the Middle East today. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness SARS-CoV-2, you know, has a death rate of about one or two percent globally. Uh, and it's very easy to get. But they're similar. The viruses are similar, but they're really different animals. So that's really how I would say to look at the difference between um, monkeypox in Congo versus mon- monkeypox in West Africa. Okay. We only have about four minutes left. Um, Did we talk we, again? We talked a lot that? again. <laughs> yeah, we, we still had two more uh, segments we, we wanted to talk about. But maybe you could take uh, uh, three of those four minutes and just kind of give us a hint of what we're going to talk about next month. Great. I'd be happy to. Today on LinkedIn, I actually uh, published a, a piece I'd written an article not that long ago, a blog post for Unsolved. And it's on the concept of shifting baselines. I've been really interested in this topic for some time professionally, and it's not my origin topic, uh, although it originally came out of the environmental movement. And if you were to define what a shifting baseline is, what it means is essentially is the failure to recognize a change. And the way this was originally looked at in the environmental movement is, you know, like from generation to generation, people will think like, well, boy, you know, it doesn't get cold like it used to. Or (laughs) In my day. (laughs) In my day, right, right. So we, over time, see changes. And then the next generation doesn't even know those things because they weren't there. They didn't see those things. And a good example of that would be looking at fisheries, like say in Canada or in the east or west part of the United States, where people would say, oh, you know, back in the day, you know, there were big harvests of fish or a lot more cod or a lot more whatever. And now there's nothing. But the younger generation doesn't really know that. 
So what they see as normal is what they're looking at right now. And what I've been trying to equate to my clients is that we in the field of continuity planning and crisis management and resiliency is that what we are becoming used to is something really different than what even 10 or 20 years ago would mean. And the best example I can give you is that in my history of my practice, which is since 1982, that every time there was a big disaster over the last 40 years, that's how long I've been in practice, at the beginning part, when I first started, there was a big earthquake. People were just like, oh my gosh, there's so many things we need to do. We need to really work on this. And we'd have a lot of energy. And then the next time there was something happen, a little less energy. Next time, a little less. And then at 9-11, September 11th, huge, oh my gosh, in the United States, you know, when that occurred, the World Trade Centers toppled and everybody was really energized. But since then... Things like Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, Irene, all of those others, the interest level is dropping down to say. Now people get their blood pressure raised for like 20 minutes and then they stop. Why this is important to understand is that in our profession, shifting baselines is a huge deal. And I want to talk about when I meet you next month what we should all be thinking about in our professions to make sure that we are adequately looking to, adjusting to, planning for the appropriate risk and not our increased tolerance for all of these risks. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that chat. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I think it's the challenge of our profession. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, uh, um, well, I'll save all my comments for next month. <laughs> oh, let, good. Let, I'll let, be waiting let, with bated yeah. breath. <laughs> Regina, thanks very much. I really appreciate you joining uh, once again, um, giving some updates and clarifying things for us. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Always great to be with you, Alex. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.